We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. Like craft beer for your ears. This is the PT Pinecast. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning and welcome to my living room. Hi, I'm Jimmy McKay, host of PT Pinecast, a very special broadcast this morning. Usually, not much PT Pinecasting before noon, but today we make an exception. Uh, Here on November 7th, helping out with the New England Regional Virtual Conference. Excited! Four states coming together, almost like Voltron, to make this great online learning experience. We've got uh, Connecticut, uh, we've got New Hampshire, we've got Rhode Island, got Massachusetts coming together. And uh, no stranger to that arrangement is mighty, not little, not not small, but mighty Rhode Island APTA chapter president, Michelle Colley, joining us on the show. Michelle, there you are. Oh, good morning, Jimmy. It is great to see you this morning, bright and early. Yeah, we hung out last night. We did a live episode last night where we got to talk about some of the things that you'll be talking about today. And for maybe people who are watching on the social media channels, we will say right now broadcasting by the Facebook pages uh, via the Facebook pages of APTA Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut. So hello to everybody out there. If you're watching, I always like to make sure like, is this thing on? Like drop in the comments below, whether you're watching on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, you know, where you are geographically. This is this goes along the lines of what we were talking about last night, Michelle, which is like survey your audience. Right now, I can see that we have eighty five people live, but I don't know what that I don't know who they are. So, like, just let us know. You you physical therapist, physical therapist assistant, you student, academic researcher. Tell us about you um, in the comments below, and just let us know. You watching this live? You watching the replay? Same question. Um, but an exciting experience. Uh, you know, when I first found out about this um, this conference, I was like, that makes complete sense with a bunch of states coming together pooling resources and just making a better online experience. So kudos for you and the other three chapters for doing that. Well, thank you, Jimmy. And I do hope those listeners out there um, let themselves know. And Jimmy said, put a comment below, but I would say, come on, Rhode Island, show them how mighty you are and let them know where you're from. Let's show that Rhode Island isn't a tiny little state here and that we're bigger and better than the others, just for a little fun competition. There we go. You got a you got a SPT from Rhode Island already jumping on. Thank you. Got, there's an Aaron from Rhode Island, Mike Gans in Connecticut. But how great is this? I mean, we just saw APTA's National Student Conclave not really break records. I mean, rewriting the record book in terms of attendance for the National Student Conclave online shattering attendance when you take geography out of the way when we're not together believe me believe me as a guy who likes to go to conferences michelle i like to be in the same room with people we can't do that right now but we're, we're saying well what can we do and i feel like that's such a, a physical therapy profession thing which is focus on what we can do and what we can do is get together in this way and learn and utilize this technology and leverage it and we're, we're seeing that in the physical embodiment of this of this event it's great and it allows us to get out of our silos. I mean, I traditionally am a very much orthopedic private practice PT and because of this environment, I've become a much more holistic learner and hearing about breathing and cardiovascular pulmonary side of things, listening to our ICU therapists and then getting into things such as population health and listening to Lisa today, I think overall it will ultimately help our profession be much um, better providers of healthcare because we won't be siloed. This is just yeah. my people and the kind of PT I know about. So it, it's like it's making lemonade out of lemons. 
It's yeah. a challenging time. And I think sometimes we feel a little bit guilty when we be like, look at the great opportunities this pandemic has created. But we need to have the courage to do that. Otherwise, we're just going to go downhill. And we yeah. need to go up. Taking geography out of the, the the equation, obviously, but also time. So we're going to drop in the uh, the comments below. If you're just watching this on Facebook and you're saying, what are they talking about with this New England virtual conference? I'm not from New England. It's okay, because if you're watching this right now, you can access the content. Um, and what you're saying is being able to get out of silos. The conference is going to be live today, all day long today. And again, we're going to drop the uh, the link in the comments below so you can access that. But if you can't watch all the presentations today because you got something, it's going to be available for a long time, right? It's available through to the end of January. And, you know, I woke up this morning and it's meant to be 70 degrees today, which seems a little absurd since there was a couple of inches of snow on the ground last week. But that's New England. Um, so, yeah, please stay as long as you can today, engage, but also go back and listen to all the other um, presentations. It's going to be a dark and gloomy winter. So on that commute home or when you're stuck at home on a Saturday night because your state has a curfew, listen. <laughs> Listen to Jane Baldwin, my friend there from Massachusetts, who's going to be speaking about telehealth. You know, listen to Mike Eisenhart, who's talking about population health. And these things will help you be, have a more fulfilling career and provide better care to your patients. I think I just gave Rhode Island like a new nickname, right? In mighty Rhode Island. I do too. I like that. Jane wants to know when the keynote speaker, Lisa Van Hoos, is going to begin. I think we've given, I think we've given enough ado, right? I just wanted to make sure people could get into the virtual environment and give them a second, kind of set the stage. I will say this. We do want to let people know. Questions or comments, usually in the middle of a presentation, you'd never raise your hand and ask a question or drop a comment. We're going to encourage that right now, knowing that Lisa will be able to get to the, co the questions or comments after she's done. We're not going to interrupt her ideas or thought process. But please, in the middle of that, throw those below. I'll be monitoring those in the background with, along with uh, with our producer, Juliet. Um, and if we have some time, Lisa will be able to dig into those. I, I always like to hear comments and, and questions from the audience. So know that that is possible no matter what platform you're watching. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to get out of your way so we can get Lisa on out here. So uh, Michelle, feel free. Uh, the stage is yours. Thank you so much, Jimmy. And good morning to everyone. Um, about three years ago, I was at a conference gram sessions and I, or three or four years ago, and this woman got up to speak who was a little shorter than me, and um, but she had this voice and was able to communicate some really profounding facts and things that I hadn't thought about, such as the impact of zip code on your health. And I've even, you can even Google it and say, depending on my zip code, if I live where I live, I'm gonna live till I'm 79, where if I lived in New York, I might live till I'm 80. Anyway, I found that information profound, and I found the way that Lisa Van Hoos, how she communicated this, extraordinary and amazing. And I was like, who is this woman? I want to know who she is. And so I Googled her, and I kind of stalked her a little bit. And this year has been like a punch in the face for all of us. We've had to deal with the pandemic and the health disparities that go with that. We're constantly reminded when we go to conferences that the majority of people look like me. Yet our patients look all different kinds of colors, ages, backgrounds, all of that. And then we've had to deal with George Floyd and we've had to deal with an election. It's been an extremely stressful year, but I think it's been a year that we've been basically punched in the face to, hey, look, we have to deal with the challenges that lie with diversity, equity and inclusion. And as we thought to bring together this conference, we thought, who could speak about this? And the first person that came to my mind was Lisa Van Hoos. 
So I'm really excited today to have Lisa Van Hoos speak to us. She's Associate Professor and the Director in the Physical Therapy Department down in University of Louisiana, Mon Monroe, which is awesome because it means she has a very different accent to not just me, but to all of you here in New England. Um, she's a board certified in oncological physical therapy, and she has a whole host of credentials, which you can go and read because they're really profound. And she's done a, an amazing amount of work and advocacy in the areas of racism, the areas and health um, disparities, and being very influential in those areas. So I couldn't be more excited to introduce and welcome to mighty Rhode Island, as well as wonderful Massachusetts, beautiful New Hampshire, and cutting edge Connecticut, the one and only Lisa Van Hoos. Hello everyone, good morning, good morning. And I am so excited to be here um, talking with you and I am thankful for the opportunity to share space and time with you. Um, so today's presentation is we're gonna be talking about social justice lessons that we can learn from Roger Williams. And so although it is the virtual Northeast Conference, um, we are going to recognize some other regions that might be participating. And so just like Jimmy said, you know, in the chat, if you're from the South or if you are up early, early this morning from California, put that in the chat and let us know where you're from so we know what regions are represented. But I will admit today we're going to give a lot of privilege to the Northwest because we're going to talk a lot about their history. And so I wanna start off with just saying thank you to the components to Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island for inviting me to participate, right y'all? Um, because there are 8 billion people in the, on the planet. And so that means that there's 8 billion voices. And so I am excited that you allow my voice to be amplified, but I will be the first to admit that my voice comes with the knowledge that is from my family and my mentors and my friends, right? So I, I want you to also remember that every time you step into a room, you step into that room as 10,000, if not more. And so today I am stepping up to speak with you based on my lived experience and also um, the wisdom that I've gathered from others. And so I wanted to start the talk off with a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. So I'm a huge history, Teddy, like U.S. history fan. And I love some Teddy Roosevelt. And so Teddy talks about the more you know about your past, the better prepared you are for the future, right? And so for this, for this Northeast Consortium, I mean, your past is so rich. But with that history, there is also a challenge to you. There is a responsibility for each of you, right? And although it is Massachusetts and Rhode Island and Connecticut and New Hampshire, everyone that's from this Northeast region, your path almost says that you have a responsibility that at times may be greater than some of us from the other regions because you were birthed from those original 13 colonies, right? You are walking those cobblestone streets that our founding fathers and mothers and other persons walked, right? So, because I'm not just gonna leave it up to the men. We are 100% sure that women had a role to play in this. Just might not have been documented, but we know we were there. But you come from this richness 
And so because of that, as we are going through this talk and talking about social justice and talking about one of our forgotten forefathers, I want you to think about the fact that you are there in the birthplace of America and how much responsibility you have to your communities and also to the nation, not just as physios, but as humans, as Americans. And we are in an amazing place right now to really say, okay, how are we going to create the next future for ourselves and also for our children? And so anytime I get ready to talk y'all to anybody, I go and I do the same thing Michelle said. So Michelle said she kind of stalked me. I stalked her too, right? And I stalked y'all a little bit because I always want to know who I'm talking to. Because even though it's a presentation, it's still an intercultural exchange. Um, because I want to know what you, you know, kind of what your history is, what your values are. Um, because I want to make sure that when we have this conversation, that there's something you get out of it, because I can't give you your time back this morning. And so in going around the internet and finding out more about your four states, some of the things that I found out was that Connecticut, your motto is, is he who is transplanted still sustains. And I was like, there is a hardiness and a consistency and a resilience to that. And so those of you that are from Connecticut, if you feel like, yeah, that's us, put something in the chat, represent your state. Cause you have this powerful motto that says that nowhere, it does not matter where I am at, I will sustain. And then for Massachusetts, this would be Massachusetts motto, right? So by the sword, we're gonna seek peace, but peace only under liberty. But just in true Massachusetts way, it's by the sword. We're coming to fight. We're ready to defend. And then for New Hampshire, New Hampshire just kept it simple. They just said there's two things. We're either going to live free or we're going to die. Those are the two choices. We're either going to live and live fully and freely or just we, we just don't die. And then the last one is Rhode Island. So mighty Rhode Island. And so Mighty Rhode Island's motto is just one word, just hope. And so I loved getting into your history and finding out more about why each of you had these different models and who were your founding fathers and mothers and persons. And so then I am a sucker for a good word cloud, y'all. So I put all these words in a word cloud and what kept popping up was this piece, right? So the intensity of the term peace. And so then I was like, I wonder, you know, when we start thinking about peace and justice, how do those things intertwine? And I think as Michelle talked about, we are in unprecedented times. So we're dealing with COVID-19, we're dealing with an election that is never ending, um, we're dealing with racial reckoning, we're dealing with poverty, unemployment. It's like, if it could all converge on us at one time, it is here. And so I was like, you know, for especially for Massachusetts that has peace built into its motto, I'm like, what does peace look like now? You know, what would those founding fathers of Massachusetts say peace was? And so I found this great quote from Jane Adams. And so 
Jane Adams, although she's not from your region, she is an amazing leader or was. Um, so she was a social worker that fought for the rights of women and children. And what you see her saying here, she says that true peace is not merely the absence of war. So here that people from Massachusetts, you can put your sword down for a minute. True peace is not merely the absence of war. It is the presence of justice. And so I started reflecting on this and saying, how are we as a PT profession, a group of PTs, PTAs, students, how are we helping ourselves and, our, and others to have this presence of peace, which only occurs through justice? And I started thinking about my own activities and I started thinking about us as a society and I'm like, what is the role we are playing as a profession to make sure that there is justice for all? And so I wanna make sure that we are working from the same definition because this is important because some are thinking, I do justice all day, right? I don't get in anybody else's way. I let them do what they wanna do. I'm not taking anything from no one. I'm not stealing anything from anybody. That's not what justice is. So if you look at this definition, justice says that there has to be a constant and a firm will. So that constant isn't just when you're in the clinic from eight to five and you provide services or when you do your pro bono care on Monday and Wednesday afternoons. It says it is constant. So that means that you, when you drive past that neighborhood that you didn't want to live in and you ignore it, then you lost your consistency. Justice says that it is constant and firm and there is a will or an intention. It is not passive. And the next part of it says that it is to give human persons their due. And with that giving people their due, that is the equity that we talk about. Because giving someone their due means that I see you. I'm not colorblind, I'm not genderblind, I'm not national blind, I see who you are. And I, I, I embrace you when I get to know you and I learn what you need so that I can give you your due. Because without me embracing you, building a relationship with you, really listening to you, I might give you equality, which often what that is, is what I think you need. But justice says, I will give you your due. Then it also talks about how that it empowers all people, right? It empowers all human persons to respect the rights that are inherent in every human person. So if you are from the Northeast region, that should be language that speaks to your heart, right? Because that sounds like our founding documents, that it is inherent in every human person and stipulated by society. And so we know that it is supposed to be um, stipulated by our American society. But what I challenge us as PT communities to really think about, are we stipulating it by, our, by the rules and behaviors within our PT society? Are we just giving it lip service or are we truly saying that we are gonna hold each other accountable to this definition of justice? 
because justice is also gonna require you to remove the obstacles to peace. And it's not just your peace, it is also the peace of others. And then it goes on to talk about how it rewards those who respect human dignity and punishes those who sabotage peace. And I will say that is where we have forgotten who we are. And it may even be a question for you there in the Northeast region, because you were birthed from this place that said, this is, these are the principles, right? We hold all, all these truths to be evident. And, and what we're seeing right now is that we have flipped this, right? So we are punishing those that respect human dignity. We're not being kind to each other. We're making fun of each other. We're hurting each other right now. But we are lifting up those that are sabotaging peace and saying that looks great. That is the definition of winning. And I don't care which side of this political thing you are on, right now we are not being good humans to each other. And so as you think about this from a PT standpoint, ask yourself, how are you embracing and empowering yourself and others to contribute towards justice in the United States or within your community? And then when you put that adjective of social justice on it, it takes it to the next level because justice talks about these inherent rights that we have. Social justice says that we also are going to acknowledge the fact that there needs to be equal access to wealth, opportunities, and privileges. And I will say that again, equal access. That's social justice. And, and some people will automatically see these terms and will go, socialism. That's not what this said. It didn't say I was coming to take your stuff and distribute it amongst everyone. What it said was I am not going to get in your way of getting access to being able to generate wealth, opportunities for your family and your community, and also to have privileges. And so, when you think about social justice, I, I started looking around your websites, right? So I told you I did the same thing that Michelle did and I was stalking y'all. And each component had some language in there about, we are going to defend the profession. We will promote the profession. And I was like, that is good, right? Because all y'all need to eat, so you need a paycheck. So that was a good thing. But then I also started to think, okay, so yes, we need to defend our rights and that is very much a Northeast region culture. But I also wanted to know what else are we doing? And so then I started looking deeper into your missions and your visions and your values. And I want to remind you, or remind you of the promise that you gave the public and, and these Promises that you gave the public were so rooted in justice and social justice. So for some of the websites, it talked about we are going to inspire, engage, and empower you to reach your potential. That's an access issue. You're saying we are here to help you get the access that you need based on what you feel like is due to you. It said you were going to advocate for the needs right, of those we serve. You were going to restore health, wellness, and 
and well-being to the public, you were going to optimize the health of all populations, not just the populations that look like you, but all populations, not just the ones you have an affinity with, not just the ones you bike with, not just the ones you go to Whole Foods with, not just the ones you worship with, but all populations. And then you once again talked about that advocating for access to care. And so when you think about those promises that you made with the communities that you serve, and when you think about the footsteps that you are following, I want you to ask yourself this. So this is one of my favorite um, statements. It says, if you could see your ancestors all standing in a row, would you be proud of them or not? Or don't you really know? But here's another question which requires a different view. If you could meet your ancestors, would they be proud of you? And so we're going to take a minute and reflect on that. When you think about the, the roots from which you come, would those ancestors look at what you are doing in your life, how you are contributing to your community, to the profession, and would they say yes? You are, you are, you know, following in our footsteps. You are continuing this legacy of greatness, this legacy of peace and liberty and freedom for all, not just yourself. Or for some of us, would they say that we have drifted from our mission and took that freedom to mean just freedom for an isolated few? And so in even my reflection on that, I started really diving into Roger Williams and I am in love with him. And I'm gonna tell y'all this, I feel like I got gypped in history um, because I had no clue of the rich history um, there within Rhode Island. And so Roger Williams was born roughly around 1603 and um, is considered, well, there is no considering, he is the father of Rhode Island. And so there were five basic principles by which um, Roger Williams lived his life. And these are the five principles of social, of social justice. And we're going to talk about them briefly. And as we talk about them, I'm going to give you a little history lesson about Roger. And for those of you who know Roger, if you've got extra facts, drop them in the chat because I'm a novice in regards to Roger Williams. But he is like in my top 10 because he was pretty amazing. So the things we're going to talk about are access, equity, diversity, participation and human rights. And as we talk about these things and talk about how Roger embodied them, we're also going to talk about some opportunities within each of your state um, for you to think about as PTs and PTAs and students. And so under this first one of access, um, I'm going to tell Roger's story um, backwards. So because of some life events that occur, Roger ends up um, founding what's known as Providence Plantation, which then goes on to become Rhode Island. And so what was awesome about Providence Plantation was it was known as a place for the liberty of conscience. And so in his mind, what he wanted was he wanted a place where you could be authentically you. And that was the whole reason for the founding of it. 
was because he felt like the church was intervening in such a way that it was encroaching on the freedoms of others. And so he created a place where you could have religious freedom. Because if I have to describe Roger, I would say he was like a little bit Republican and a little bit Democrat and a whole lot of independent. And it was just some goodness. And it's just a great model of how that there's a beauty when we can see the perspectives of both because he was a huge fan and proponent and advocate of religious freedom. But then he also spoke up about the social injustices of the time. And so in Providence Plantation, there was, um, he abolished the uh, witchcraft trials. Um, he got rid of debt imprisonment, right? And also in Rhode Island, mighty Rhode Island, that was the first state to have a law that abolished slavery. Although it was temporary, it was 200 years before the Emancipation Proclamation. That was how ahead of time Rhode Island is. So if you're from Rhode Island, shout out to y'all, shout out to Rhode Island. And so Roger Williams showed us early on that you could create a place where everyone could be themselves and it still be productive, both economically and socially, and would allow for there still to be capitalism, that the two things don't have to be exclusive, um, have to um, violate each other. And so when we talk about access, I wanna present some numbers to you um, so that we can bring this to the current times. And so what you see on this slide is some data, um, and this is from Massachusetts. So you're up first, mighty Massachusetts. So what we're looking at is we're looking at the cities with the lowest median household income, and then we're looking at the cities with the highest income, median household income. We're looking at your COVID-19 cases per 10,000 people. And you can see the disparities, right? Even before we start talking about racial and ethnic um, demographics, that there is a correlation between um, COVID-19 cases and income levels. Now, the next piece of data that you see enter this slide has three columns. The first column is the population for that city. The second column is the number of physical therapy clinics or physio clinics. And I will be, so let me tell you the assumptions in that number. So I took your city, I put it in the Google Maps, I looked at the boundaries, and then I did a search for physio or physical therapy clinics and I counted them. And then the third column that you see is, is I extrapolated a number that would look at the number of clinics per 2,000 persons. And the reason why I picked a 2,000 is because if we're going to take the lessons from our past and start thinking about how that's gonna affect our future, the future for PT is we're trying to move to primary care, right? We're trying to make that argument and also show our value as primary care providers. And so when you look at the national and county health ranking data, those um, counties and states that tend to be considered good health, primary care providers are somewhere between one, one to 1,000 to 2,000 persons. And so I, I took that 2000 um, to come up with the data today. And so what you see here is that in most of these cities where um, the persons have a lower income, 
there is decreased access to physical therapy clinics. But then I'm going to pop up the data in regards to those higher income um, households. And so in the chat, tell me what you see. Are they the same? Nope. So you see how that in that lower, those lower median household incomes, we're at 0.33 clinics per 2,000 persons. But in some of these higher income um, cities, we're almost at a, a clinic and a half for 12,000 people. We're up here, we've got cities that have 212 people and they're at 0.1 clinics for every 2,000 people. You cannot tell me that that's, an, that that's not an access issue. And you cannot tell me that the Northeast region cannot do better. You are the birthplace of a nation. You can start another clinic somewhere overnight if y'all wanted to. Now, the next social principle that we're going to talk about is equity. And this is where I fell in love with Roger. Because Roger was courageous enough to have an argument, a flat out, we finna take our earrings off, put some Vaseline on our face argument with the king and also his peers about the fact of that they could not come in and just take land from the Native Americans. He was like, I will not stand for it. It is not just, it is not fair. And that was actually what led to him later on having to found um, Rhode Island was because of these ongoing arguments about colonization and imperialism. And so even when Roger went on to purchase Providence Plantation, he gave he negotiated with the Native Americans for a fair and reasonable price. And the and remember I told you the first first was around abolishing slavery. Here's the other first. It was the first legal deed, right? I'm like Roger Williams was ahead of his time. And so when you think about equity and this concept of land rights, then you have to take this conversation of social justice to redlining. And so redlining was a process, was a practice um, that was started in the 40s. And what it was was that um, bankers, appraisers would lower or undervalue um, African-American, um, sometimes Irish, communities where they would say that the property value was a third to a half of maybe that same property in what would be considered a white neighborhood. And so what you see here is they would give them a rating of a C or a D. And because of that redlining practice, you might not be able to get a mortgage. Um, so then you would maybe have to continue renting. Or if you owned a house, you might not be able to get a mortgage to do renovations, to improve your property. And you weren't able to have that access to wealth generation, right? And social justice is about access. Because instead of your house going up, you know, 10, 20%, it might only go up 1%. And so the reason why redlining is still a hot conversation today is what you see here is a redlining map from Providence, Rhode Island. And the next slide talks about the Rhode Island Economic Inclusion Forum. And this forum, which was just held a year ago, is still talking about the consequences of redlining 
from 1940. Because in many of those neighborhoods that were given a C and D that were inhabited by persons of color or persons from lower income, those neighborhoods then became places where there were increased environmental exposures to toxins. A lot of those houses um, have significant lead exposure, which is then impacting the children. And so the state of Rhode Island has developed an initiative where they are trying to address these homes and create what's called a healthy home. And so if you are from Rhode Island as a PT, a PTA, a student, this is an opportunity for you to get into this conversation, to get out of your clinic and actually be part of a community solution to improve the health and wellness. And some of you are like, but they're talking about home renovation and they're talking about healthy houses. How does that fit in the PT? If you look at the definition that they're using, the definition of a healthy home, it is one that is marked not only by the absence of health and safety threats in a built environment, but it is also one that nourishes physical, 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 mental, social, and environmental well-being. And so if there is a conversation going on about the physical space and about movement, you as PTs, PTAs, and students need to be in that conversation. And those of you that are in Rhode Island, this is going on now and has been, there have been funds earmarked to it. And there is a very um, robust strategic plan about it. But I'm like, I was going through their documents and I couldn't find one PT that was involved. And so this may be an opportunity for the Rhode Island component to step up and step into this space and partner with this community. And so then the, um, the next social justice principle is diversity. And I loved Roger Williams' term of soul liberty. This concept of, I don't care who you are, I just want your soul to be able to be free. And we are going to create a space where your personality, right? So that external person that you show up as can be in alignment with your soul. Because so often what we do is we create spaces that say you can only come if you act or if you look a certain way. And Roger Williams was like, no, the soul has to be free and the personality should be a manifestation of that soul. And even when he did the founding of um, Rhode Island, one of the things that they did was in their governance was if you were a um, the home the homeowner or the, the head of household, you had voting rights. And, and, and it was even true for women, right? Early on in our history, Roger Williams said, no, if you meet this qualification, I do not care what your sexual orientation is. I do not care what your gender expression is. You have this right. He was just a wonderful model of how to do both, you know, fiscal responsibility along with freedom. And so this is one of my um, quotes that I just really adore in, in doing my research about him, was he said that enforced uniformity confounds civil and religious liberties and denies the principle of Christianity and civility. And he says, no man, we're gonna add woman or person, 
shall be required to worship or maintain a worship against his will. So he spoke this message of we don't have to be the same. And so when you think about that, the fact of that he embraced and valued diversity, I started then looking at some of the diversity data related to education, because I'm not going to go down the 500 different ways we can talk about the lack of diversity in PT. I'll touch on it a little bit, but not a lot. But ultimately, this starts early on. It starts upstream. It starts in pre-K. It starts in first and second grade, where we start to see these black and white education gaps. We can even say black, white, and brown education gaps. And so Connecticut, you are now, we've talked about Massachusetts, we've talked about Rhode Island, but in Connecticut, there is conversation about the inequities in education. And so some of the data that's being talked about is the fact that suspension rates in Connecticut are four times higher for black students than white students. Absentee rates are higher. The access to advance those AP classes, those IB classes are significantly different. And having access to a teacher that is same race as you or racially concordant, um, that is not an opportunity that black students have as much in Connecticut. And so you might be like, but Lisa, I'm a PT. Why had to go talk about K through 12 education? Because the PT profession, number one, will not diversify until we address the academic gap. The number two is, is because you have privilege, right? Because you are a PT, you make a higher income. Your children are probably in a different educational setting. Use your privilege to ask why. Ask your principal, is there something we could do to have more teachers of color? Look at the data in regards to how your school is handling suspensions, absentee rates, access to gifted and talented. And if you notice that it's all white kids, then ask the question why. If you notice that it's all kids from one neighborhood, ask the questions why. Sometimes justice starts with nothing more than asking why. That may be all of the social justice, all of the civic work that you have to do is just by asking that question. And so then the next principle of social justice is participation. So um, Williams was known for his peaceful relationships with Native Americans. And what was fascinating about this was it wasn't just that he was cordial, right? Because for some of us, we're like, but I'm nice to everyone. He took it to the next level because yes, he was cordial and he was respectful, but remember he was an advocate. He wasn't an ally, he was a downright accomplice where he's fighting for their land rights. He also took it upon himself to learn their language so that there would not be a language barrier so that he could actually lean in and speak with them in their native language and build community with them. So it's not just about being nice. Remember, it, it's about that constant and that firm will and intention. And Roger embodied that. He embodied that in his relationships with others. Now, I will admit, though, this peaceful relationship that he has with Native Americans actually becomes part of the demise 
because as tensions um, increased in the region, he had to make a decision between this relationship with the Native Americans and with um, persons from the, from the colonies. And so what happened was he decided to go with the colonies. And so that law that they had abolishing slavery, that law went away. Um, the Native Americans were enslaved. Many of them died from disease and, uh, and other illnesses. And, and then Rhode Island actually started participating heavily in the African slave trade. And so there are times where our spirit and our will is really good. And then we get to this fork in the road where the peer pressure becomes so much that we violate those very relationships that we said we honored. And that was, and it's, it saddened me because I knew that that was probably one of the things that Roger um, most likely regretted in his story, right? Because he had lived this life of equity and equality, but then he, he made this really difficult choice that ended up, some of the data suggests it might've resulted in abolishing almost 80 to 90% of the indigenous population there. And so as we think about these peaceful relationships and if we're going to put a modern day spin on that, we're gonna put New Hampshire on the hot seat now. And so what you see in this big box is that um, New Hampshire has some implicit bias that activists say is kind of percolating and brewing under the surface. And although New Hampshire is um, 90 to 95% Caucasian, the numbers are starting to trend in regards to increases in minority um, percentages. And, and the group that we see really expanding is the Hispanic population, but activists are concerned that if there is not an effort to talk about um, this kind of underlying cultural tension, that that may actually be a barrier to those numbers increasing. And some of you are like, well, you know, it is what it is. It's the survival of the fittest. But in New Hampshire, businesses are starting to talk about the lack of diversity in New Hampshire and how that there are certain businesses that are, not, are making the decision to not come to New Hampshire because of the lack of diversity, um, because there is just this kind of monoculture of whiteness there in New Hampshire. And so my charge to us as PTs and PTAs is to think about, okay, what is your contribution to that in New Hampshire? So there's about 1,250 PTs um, there in New Hampshire. And I pull the data in regards to professional demographics of the schools. So we've got Franklin Pierce University that's hovering at about 92% Caucasian. And then Plymouth is about 90% Caucasian. And so based on these numbers, we're not gonna change the demographics of New Hampshire. So the PT profession really is not helping the community address this issue of their whiteness and possibly the negative impacts on economic development. And then River Valley, I wanna make sure I give a shout out to you. I couldn't find your PTA program demographics, but it says that your school is about 84% in regards to student population. And this is typically what we see in the PTA, PT world 
is that there's more diversity within our PTA ranks. But unfortunately, we have yet to figure out as a profession how to get more pathways available for PTAs that so choose to be DPTs. Um, so that is a challenge that maybe the schools there in New Hampshire could start thinking about. Could we create some more alternative pathways for PTAs to become DPTs? Could you start looking at some holistic admission and maybe some other innovative strategies to get these numbers trending downward? And the reason being is because this is what the current demographics of New Hampshire is. It's about 93% Caucasian, but as I said, your minority numbers are starting to trend upward. And if you are going to talk about all the goodness of liberty and freedom, then you also got to stop and think about the fact that if you do not address the lack of diversification of the workforce, you are taking a freedom away from patients and clients who might want a therapist who looks like them. And, and that just seems counterintuitive to the very nature of who you are. And so I, I challenge you to figure out ways in which to address the workforce issue there. And so then with the last principle of social justice, we're gonna get to the very beginning of Roger's story where he was banished in 1636 and that's what led to the founding of Rhode Island. And he was banished for what um, people thought were these new and dangerous opinions. And so I hope that each of us will be able to lean in to social justice, be able to be okay with saying, we're going to be a little dangerous, right? You're going to embody a little John Lewis, a little, you know, necessary trouble. Because when you think about our founding fathers and Roger Williams, these were people that were okay with being courageous and being a little dangerous and realize that there might be a consequence to it and that we don't all have to conform. Because when we conform, we are not being our best self. And this is a quote from Roger, Roger himself that says, the greatest crime is not developing your potential. When you do what you do best, you are not only helping yourself, but also the world. And so I come back to that promise that each of your components made, right? To advocate, to restore, to optimize, to inspire, and to engage. But I will say that I love those promises. But when I look at your websites, when I Googled you and tried to figure out, okay, what are they doing that aligns with these very beautiful missions associated with justice and social justice? it was hard to find the action items. And so it, it is possible that you are doing a lot of really good work. I saw some things about PT day of service, but I asked that you be a little more intentional about it, right? That you have that constant and firm wheel and that you're able to articulate that in your activities and that you are accountable to that because we have all as PTs taken this oath that we are going to align with this vision of transforming society. But to transform society, I've got to be able to know what was the baseline, where did you start, and then where are you at? And that is the gap. That is the gap that I see right now in the way in which we operate. And so in closing, I just wanna remind you of the five principles, access, equity, diversity, participation, and human rights. 
And I want to remind you that you are walking in a legacy of amazing humans. And what you see on the right side is an ancestral prayer. <clears throat> so sorry, y'all. And it says, I look within my soul for those who created me. I am not just the boy, the woman, the child, the sister, the person. I am a soul just working everything out. The wisdom I was born with has been lost in my upbringing. I ask my ancestors to guide me, protect me, and support me as I evolve to a wiser soul. So we are going to acknowledge the work that we are doing because we realize we are all in earth school and trying. But ask yourself, have you lost something in your vision as a component, as a PT, as a PTA, as a student, as a human? And then can you lean back upon your ancestors and their wisdom for that evolution to take you to the next level? Because history cannot give us a problem for a program for the future, but it can give us a fuller understanding of ourselves and our common humanity so that we can better face the future. And so as PTs, I think we need to stop, especially those of you in Rhode Island and Connecticut and Massachusetts and New Hampshire, and remember where you came from. Remember the calling that is within your roots. And then really ask yourself, how are you going to answer that and be responsible for that? For the profession, yes, promote ourselves, but also for the larger um, population. How can we build a better future for all? All right, Jimmy, I'm done rambling. I probably need louder, louder cheering than that. Uh, we'd like you to show your appreciation for Lisa and her time and her information and her words uh, in the comments. And just so you know, Lisa, there's a little bit of a, a delay. I'm going to say like, you know, 20, 30 seconds. So if you don't see anything for a couple seconds, that's what it is. Or people are probably just uh, still clapping at their keyboards right there. Uh, Lisa, some of the uh, some of the the comments I was monitoring those a lot of the a lot of them were re reiterating the the quotes that uh, that you had uh, had shared. Tara saying uh, thanks so much, and Julia there, and Monique as well. Monique, how we doing? Uh, so feel free to drop the comments whether you're watching this presentation or listening to this presentation live or recorded. Um, one question that did come in was uh, was was Steph Wyrock. She was asking about redlining, and, and this might be a little bit deeper or some more in research, but she was asking really redlining being a product of the Roosevelt administration. Do you know the, the policy conversations that went on, went on during this? He was known for his positive social policies. How'd this one fall through the cracks? I mean, this might not be in your scope, but you might have come across it since you were doing a deep dive in this. Yes. So how it fell through the cracks was because it was so woven into the banking industry. Um, it was one of those that it was too big to fail, to break apart. And they could not come to agreement on how to dismantle this system. And that's why it's still actually um, part of our our banking systems today. If you actually go into a bank and look at their data, you will see that um, black and brown communities, communities of lower socioeconomic levels are still being undervalued based on these redlining principles. It still is, is quite active in our our current system. I didn't learn about this in school. Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, I didn't learn about this in school. And, you know, there are people within our society who are actively trying to prevent different viewpoints from yeah. being to our education. Um, I like tactics. 
because it's one thing to be inspired, and I can't keep up with all the comments, uh, which shows that a lot of the uh, the audience was inspired and in saying thanks so much. Um, but one of the tactics I liked that you shared, which is, I won't say easy to do, I'll say completely within our, our realm of possibility, our scope of practice, our duty as humans is um, sometimes justice starts with nothing more than asking why. And, and repeatedly asking why. And then I would say, and then thoughtfully waiting for an answer. And if you can't hear a good one, that says a lot. Um, I think you summed it up, Jimmy. I learned from you. Um, where are the different places? I mean, you mentioned within schools, and and I think for good reason, right? If you want to look upstream, you got to look downstream. You know, at the at the at the students and where they're coming from. Um, where are some other places that we should be asking why, Lisa? Uh, uh, schools is very important because children are our future, right? Not to quote a a song lyric there, but um, <laughs> let them lead the way. But where where are some other different places that we can we the audience listening right now, the profession of physical therapy, people who want to see change. Yeah. Uh, there are the different places we can be asking why. So I would say, and we'll frame it around <clears throat> around a movement. So if if you've got a client that you're like, I want you to get on a walk plan. So think about, you know, what is their walkability in their community? Each of you can go and Google what's called the walk score, and you can yeah. actually put in your client's address. And it'll tell you, you know, how walkable is their community if there's complete sidewalk systems, right? So um, you want to look at physical activity spaces. You want to look at green spaces. You want to look at nutrition. You know, where are the food deserts at within your communities? And could you partner with the community to help address those? Where are the rehab deserts? So we have to take some ownership over the fact that we have created some injustices in regards to access, which was part of the data I was talking about. Um, also, because of who we are, we, we are animals, and so we like to be with our tribes, but push back on that a little bit, right? Because we live in these very insulated um, bubbles, and so you tend to worship and live and educate with the same people. Get out of your bubble. That's and encourage your students to do it. That's uncomfortable, though. It is. But we need to do the uncomfortable, right? Otherwise, there will be no change. We know that about exercise. We know that about human physiology. Why would we think otherwise? These things mimic each other. You know, Michelle Colley and I were talking last night about communication and, and physical therapy paralleling each other. I think if you look deep enough, most things will parallel each other. They really will if you look close enough. Right. Everything just repeats. It's just patterns. Life is all about patterns. But I, I, I agree with you, though. Everything comes back to Wolf's Law. You need a little tension for growth. Good tension, right? Too much, we break down, right? There's the parallel again. Not enough and you get nothing. But not enough and too much, bad. Yeah. In the middle. Julia brings up a, a great tactic. Why aren't our association websites producing languages of all of our communities? Why, why aren't the websites? If I can't access information, why would I ever consider physical therapy an option? I don't understand this. Therefore, I reject it. Yeah. I will look elsewhere. No, I, I totally agree. And that is just one decision away, right? So a lot of these things are just one choice away. But a lot of times it's just the tra the traditions and we've always done things a, a certain way. And because we lack diversity in our leadership, we don't we sometimes forget to look with the beginner's eye and say, who might we be excluding? Yeah, uh, that you say that it's always been this way. Great radio segue. Kayla just said, I found barriers in schools, clinics, et cetera, can be as simple as, oh, but that's how it's always been. It makes the well, why? Well, why? 
so powerful. Um, I think a lot of times this this could show a, a parallel between innovation. A lot of times innovation is stifled, and it could be something as simple as as, as Ju uh, Julia chiming and say, "Hey, why aren't our association websites produced in all languages?" Sometimes it's a lot of people just looking around, like, "Is this my problem to solve?" Like, I don't want to. Uh, and sometimes it can be imposter syndrome. Well, I, I certainly can't know enough to solve this, could I? And that's why I'm not. Or is this, I don't want to step out. Am I stepping on toes here and doing that? Yeah. Which, which goes back to your asking, why is it like this? And then when enough people look around and go, we don't have a good answer as to why this is like this, but it could be like this. And that's what I think the group think can say, okay, well, then we should change this. Kind of like when they do that undercover TV show where they put people in uncomfortable situations to watch how they, um, Nunez, Anthony Nunez, and, and watch how they react. A lot of times I think innovation can sometimes be stifled simply because our human psychology. And that's, we yeah. got, we have to feel more bold. And, and it, cre and it, and innovation requires energy, right? So it takes more energy to pivot and change. And so, People then will do that cost benefits, that ROI conversation. Right. Um, the other thing of it is, is that if you are seeing these inequities, these differences, and your group goes, we can't figure it out, then ask for help. That we're all here together. And I think COVID kind of taught us that um, because there's a reason why we had to shut down yeah. was because how connected we are. Right. We are all on this one planet spiraling in the middle of nowhere. We're kind of connected. Megan brings up uh, something reiterating things that you talked about, which is build authentic relationships across differences. You talked about Roger. Was he nice? I mean, he was, I wrote this down. He was cordial. Like, that's good. That's the minimum. I'm nice to everybody. Yes. Does that mean I'm ma making change? No, he advocated. He was an accomplice. He was an ally. He learned their language. He was fair, but he could have taken advantage like so many other people did, which leads me to something else that you had brought up too, is if you lined up your ancestors, would you be proud? I thought about that. I, I don't know. So when are you going to go figure it out, Jimmy? Yeah, do it now. <laughs> Help me out do that. And, um, I, and that's, that's really the challenge for all of us is to slow down and just take a moment and reflect and really Think about who we are because we get caught in this busyness or we get caught in these definitions that other people tell us who we are. But just sit down with yourself. Have yeah. a search of self first. Yeah. I want to ask you this. This is something I've wanted to know about you. Mm -hmm. This is, In the last six months, this is not when you began talking about these issues. You've been talking about these for a long time. Are you, as an individual... Are you are you tired? Because you, I feel like every time I look, you're everywhere talking about this. So I'm asking as a human to another human, because I've I've not this has not been a Jimmy McKay problem. This has not affected me. I'm now paying attention to it more in the last six months and saying, oh my gosh, me not doing anything is not enough. But you have been. Are you? I mean, are you tired? Are you re-energized by how much you see people learning? Like what? How do you feel right now? Ooh, great question, Jimmy. Um, so I actually moved, I started in this space in 1995. Wow. So when, I, when I was in PT school, my first research project looked at recruitment and retention of minority students um, in the Southern states. And I am tired. Um, but I will say I'm more tired because of the cycling. The cycling, just like any other disease, illness, condition that is bringing you in and out of peace, that is what wears you out, This, these ups and downs. And I'm like, 
could we as a society just commit to this? Right. Right. Just be constant because it is the cycling that that just makes you exhausted. And it it makes you like right now I am struggling with trust, Jimmy, um, because I truly thought that we were going to do something different as Americans. And now I'm in this place where I'm trying to really reflect on what is going on with the vote. Because I do feel like there was a lot of good work going on. I mean, I think people bought out every anti-racist, white supremacy book in the planet. Right. Right. But then when it came time to vote, we did the thing that Roger did. Was we picked somebody else over the people that we said we had created this authentic relationship with. And so I am grieving that right now and trying to work through that and trying to be generous in thought. Because there are different perspectives and everyone gets a right to their freedom. And that's one of the things that I also learned from Roger is I have to make sure that I don't restrict other people's rights. So, but I am exhausted. I'm tired, but I'm here for the fight. As long as people just show up as their authentic selves, just don't lie to me. Well, that that was the thing that I wanted to... Well, I, that every time I see you, you know, doing a webinar or doing a podcast or writing an article, which is uh, Lisa isn't trying to be the anything. Lisa would like to be, hey, come with me, walk in front of me, like do this because many hands makes light work. Yeah. And uh, that's the only way it is in a cycle. And it becomes this thing that sticks around. Because yeah. that, right, that's gonna that's gonna get us excited and disappointed. And, and then eventually people will do this with the news cycle, they just flame out. Yeah. That's worse than liking it or disliking it, which indifference is the worst part. Oh, you just beautifully spoke of that. And like the be- the body also keeps score. So when we are doing this cycling, you are harming me, you are harming yourself. Um, because the body's not built for that. It physiologically can't keep this up. We see that with glucose. We see that with insulin. We see that with, you know, other hormones. We are built for peace. It is when we get in the way of others that we um, cause damage. Right. You want to see a parallel between um, this situation, these topics we're talking about in the human body. Fight or flight, rest and digest. We'd like to be in the middle, right? We want to be in homeostasis. We'd like our society to be in homeostasis. With too much sympathetic and too much like eventually you start to tie out you tire out you're burning a lot of calories you know bringing bringing the system up and down and eventually you want to stay away from that situation and that's not what we want here we want to fix the situation we don't want to stay away from the situation we want to change the situation yes and and like and the other part of that is is you know you want to be able to say we are friends but when we cycle then i constantly have to do that sympathetic activity of going are you friend or foe and we start our relationships back over again. And it just slows down our progress as we're trying to create a new future. It just yeah. gets in the way. Yeah, I love that. Uh, questions and comments still pouring in if you're watching the replay as well. Commenting on this broadcast, wherever you see it, on the Facebook pages of Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, what that does is it starts the conversation again. This will pop up on your news feed if six months from now someone sees this, which is why... PT to PT, person to person, sharing something like this, however you're watching it, sending it to a colleague. If you're a professor, giving it to your class to take a, a watch. This is your assignment for today. Tell me tell me two things you're going to do now that you've seen um, what Lisa has talked about. That's a great way to keep the conversation going, as Renee chimes in there on YouTube as well. Yes. And I love the fact that you talked about bringing lots of voices to this conversation. 
because truthfully, y'all, when when I as a as a black woman, that's how I identify myself. When I'm having to constantly have this conversation, then it also limits me to just one dimension of my diversity. Right. Right. And I am this intersection of all kind of goodness. Um, But I often feel very suffocated and insulated because we keep having to have these urgent conversations about race and ethnicity and other biases. So this doesn't allow me to expand because you're keeping me in a box by us not growing. Right. So that's a, that's a big we. Again, Lisa's not trying to be the, she's trying to be a, come follow me, take a listen, and then let's be a we. Uh, tradition on the show is the parting shot. Um, it's kind of like your last mic drop moment. I kind of feel like most of your presentation was a mic drop moment. But if there's one thing after hearing some of these questions or seeing some of the comments, uh, what do you want to leave with the audience? What do you want to leave the audience with today? I think that I'm going to leave it with the ultimate mic dropper, Maya Angelou. If you know better, do better. Oof. It'd be very difficult to follow that, so I will not. Uh, Lisa, thanks so so much for really kicking off this great idea of a Northeast uh, virtual conference. Again, if you're watching this for free on the socials and say, I'd like some more great virtual conversations, uh, jump in. The link is in the notes in the comments below. And the, the content, while live today on November 7th, as we record, will be available for you through the end of the year. So use some dashboard time or some walking around the neighborhood time. Get some steps in while you listen to this great content. Uh, Lisa, thanks so much for sharing with us and uh, excited to hear what you're doing next. Thank you so much. And thank you all for being courageous of stepping into these conversations. Have a good weekend and have a great conference. Love the PT Pinecast? Yes, yes. Support the show by telling a friend or by leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play. All right, show today brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. Brooks IHL offering continuing education courses in numerous specialty areas, six PT residency programs, an OMPT fellowship, as well as challenging but rewarding internships. The IHL specializes in the translation of information from evidence to patient management, Learn what they can do for you to support your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. ptpinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. To providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at buildpt.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast, LLC. It's poured fresh by me, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay. Ingredients are sourced by our chief connections officer, Sky Donovan from Marymount University. And it's brewed fresh by producer and physical therapist, Juliet Dassinger. And by producer and creator, second year PT student, Bridget Nolan from Sacred Heart University. PT Pinecast is a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories. Make sure to follow us online at PT Pinecast and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I absolutely love you. I love you, love you, love you. It's it's awesome. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. And if you found value in the show, all we ask is that you tell a friend. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.